Welcome to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. This is Luke Stampini here with Thomas Goldcamp. We're going to break down the Florida Gators-Miami season opener coming up this week. We are in game week. Thomas, are you excited for this this week coming up and getting the season underway? Yeah, absolutely. I know we talked about it with Blake on the podcast the other day. We were really excited to really kind of begin previewing this Miami game. Obviously, you know, fans have been looking at this one for months and months. Um, so I'm not sure that there's a ton necessarily that we'll uncover that, that you know, the real dedicated fans out there haven't already looked at themselves. Uh, but hopefully we can kind of preview uh, a little bit based on, you know, some of the changes we've seen throughout UF and fall camp and where both teams are um, now that they've had, you know, 29 practices or so uh, to get ready for this matchup. So much has been made about Florida's offensive line and, and how well it would be this season. But looking at Miami's offensive line, there's some serious questions there uh, as well. Maybe more questions on Miami's offensive line than Florida's offensive line. Uh, Miami is going to start, looks like they're going to start true freshman Zion Nelson at left tackle and a redshirt freshman John Campbell at right tackle. If you're a Florida fan and you hear that, that sounds like a great matchup for Jabari Zaninga and Jonathan Grenard, the two defensive ends for Florida. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. You know, I, I talked to uh, I've talked to a couple people about this. I think when you start talking about this Florida Miami game, I think the the any breakdown has to kind of start there um, because I think you know even though Florida's got a young offensive line as well, um, you look at Florida's front seven defensively. Um, you talk about you know uh, Zaninga and, and Greenard or Grenard. Um, you've got some elite pass rushers, and I think Florida's deep enough across the board um, that when you have two offensive tackles for Miami that are likely going to be taking, you know, their first real snaps in a college game, um, that's that's going to be tough to handle. I mean, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what Florida will do schematically, but I would imagine, um, and we'll get into this some later, I'm sure, that Todd Grantham will have some unique looks. But, I mean, Jabari Zuniga is a fifth-year guy. Uh, you know, Grinnard, same thing. So these are guys that are used to going against all kinds of different players. And I think, um, you know, if you're, you're Miami's coaches and whatnot, you, you've got to be really, really concerned about that matchup because uh, I think that has the potential to ruin the game right out the gates for Miami. Let's go to Florida's offensive line now. Uh, there's a lot of hype coming out of Miami's camp about defensive end. Jonathan Garvin had five and a half sacks a year ago. And a guy uh, that transferred in from Virginia Tech, Trayvon Hill, I know he's getting some NFL talk as well. He had three and a half sacks through three games last year before he got kicked off the team up there with the Hokies. Um, and, and, you know, with the injury of offensive tackle Gene DeLance and unsure on what he if he will be available for the game, you know, what does this mean for Florida if those guys do live up to the hype? Well, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it's similar to the matchup on the other side of the ball. You talk about, you know, Florida, um, probably a little more experienced uh, than Miami in the offensive line, just in terms of, you know, freshmen versus guys that have been in the program uh, for four to five years when you're talking about Florida. Um, but Miami's pretty stout in the front seven defensively. I mean, you mentioned Garvin uh, with his five and a half sacks last year, obviously a, a pretty disruptive player. Um, same thing with Hill. Um, I think those two are going to present a lot of challenges for Florida, particularly, um, you know, if DeLance isn't able to go in this Miami game or if he's limited. Uh, I think they're really going to try to attack those tackles. Um, and so I think I think that'll actually put some pressure on Florida's tight ends, uh, which as a group, you know, that's a unit that is really focused on improving their blocking this offseason. That's something we talked to a lot of those guys about throughout fall camp. Um, pretty much every single one of those guys said that was their main focus in the offseason. So I think Florida will probably have to get a little creative in terms of how, in terms of how they block offensively. 
Um, I think that's another, um, you know, I mentioned this point to Blake on the podcast recently. I think that the thing that gives me more confidence about Florida being able to handle Miami's front seven uh, rather than the other way around on the other side of the ball is I think you've seen games where Florida has been able to scheme around offensive line weaknesses against a very good defensive front. I always go back to that Mississippi State game last year, um, you know, where Florida's facing Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons. And they didn't necessarily have a ton of offensive production, but it was never the disaster that you kind of got used to seeing when Florida, you know, would would field a kind of middling offensive line against uh, some of these better teams like you had in the Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain years. I just think Dan Mullen and his staff are pretty good at knowing their personnel, knowing their weaknesses and being able to scheme around it. And uh, I, I would definitely expect Miami to cause some issues, but I think Florida's ability to adapt around those assuming they don't have other guys on the O-line go down during the game, uh, gives me a little bit more confidence in Florida's O-line versus, say, Miami's. Before we leave Florida's offensive line, if DeLance is unable to go there at the right tackle, any idea maybe what Florida would do, what shifting around that they would, would do up, up front? Yeah, my guess would be that um, you know Richard Gouraj is the guy that steps in as the starter. Now, whether they end up moving Stone Forsyth from the left side to the right side is a little a little more up in the air, if you ask me. Um, I think the reason that Florida might do that would be because Garage has worked mostly on, uh, you know, that left side with the second team. So he's more comfortable with the movements from that side. Um, but, you know, Florida has one or two other options. I think, you know, TJ Moore is a guy that has worked both tackle guard. Um, so you may even see a combination of, of him and Garage, you know, depending on how they're doing, you know, as the game goes. One of I, the position group that I feel best about Florida starters are the cornerbacks. I, I think CJ Henderson's a, a potential first round draft pick. I think Marco Wilson, even though he is coming off the ACL, is a high round draft pick as well once he's 100%. Um, so, you know, for Miami, they got a Buffalo transfer at wide receiver, KJ Osborne, who put up big stats last year 892 yards and seven touchdowns. I think if you're Florida, you always got to watch out for Miami wide receiver Jeff Thomas as well. He's an electric playmaker, 563 uh, receiving yards a year ago, three touchdowns. But, you know, he's a threat in a return game. I guess how do you see that battle with Henderson and Wilson uh, going against Miami's wide receivers? Well, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a favorable matchup for Florida first and foremost. But I do think, you know, especially in these season opener type games, a lot of times these games tend to swing on one big play on the perimeter or, you know, somebody breaks, uh, you know, a couple tackles and gets loose and there's a quick touchdown and that can really swing momentum. Um, And I think if you look at Miami across the board, um, you know, obviously they have the questions on the offensive line. They have the question mark at quarterback. Um, But if one of these guys, you know, Osborne or Jeff Thomas can step up and make a play in the early going, all of a sudden you start to build some confidence. And that's where I think if you're Florida, you want to really kind of negate that and nip that in the bud. I think Henderson and and Wilson are two of the best cornerbacks out there. You know, I would put them up against any other cornerback duo in the country. Um, But Marco Wilson hadn't played in a year. So, you know, we haven't really seen him. We're expecting him to be back to, you know, his old self, but we don't really know. We didn't get to see, you know, those guys in fall camp a whole lot in an actual, you know, 11 on 11, seven on seven pass skeleton type stuff. So we're kind of going on, on the word of, you know, the coaches and the players that have seen him uh, as far as Henderson goes, you know, I, he's 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 going to hold his own. I mean, he he looks on a different level physically than he did a year ago. Um, he, he's just kind of bulked up and filled out his frame and, and still looks as quick as ever. So, you know, I think it'll be an interesting matchup. I think, you know, that's one of those ones where, you know, I, if 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 those receivers can get loose and make a big player to it makes things more interesting. 
This is a Swamp 24-7 podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. This is Luke Stampini here with Thomas Goldcamp bringing down the position groups for the Florida Gators and the Miami Hurricanes for week zero uh, this coming Saturday. Moving on to Miami's tight ends, this is probably the unit that if you're a Florida fan, you would be the most worried about. Uh, Brevin Jordan as a true freshman last year, 287 uh, receiving yards and four touchdowns. But down in Miami, um, you know, the beat writers are, are really hyping up Will Mallory as well, um, kind of a tall, lanky tight end that they can move around the offense. And, you know, he's getting rave reviews. I, I guess, do you have any concerns about Florida's ability to cover tight ends? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think you look at, you know, some of those games last year, the Georgia game comes immediately to mind as a game where Florida really struggled to cover tight ends and it cost them pretty badly. Um, you know, obviously the personnel is a little bit different for Florida. The guy this year that you're expecting to kind of step into that role as a linebacker is Amari Bernie. Um, you know, Voshan Joseph, clearly that wasn't his strong suit a year ago, whereas Bernie's coming over from Nickelback a year ago and theoretically should be much more uh, better equipped to kind of handle those athletic tight ends. Um, but again, he's a guy that we haven't really seen a whole lot in live stuff. Um, played very well in the bowl game against Michigan, kind of in that linebacker role. But we haven't we just haven't seen him a whole lot. And so it's a little bit of a question mark. You know, Jordan, the tight end for Miami, is obviously a guy that that proved quite a bit uh, last year. And so I do think I do think that's a concerning matchup for Florida. Um, One of the things that's interesting to me about that is, you know, whether or not Miami will be able to use those tight ends as much as they'd like to. You know, Florida is not shy about bringing pressure. And I think when you see Todd Grantham bring as many guys as he does, um, you can get a tendency to go into a lot more max protect, particularly when you have a young quarterback. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, Dan Enos kind of balances that, whether or not they, um, you know, kind of do it the other way and and use the tight ends to kind of free release some and, and give short outlets for the quarterback. Um, or they keep those guys in protection a little bit more and chipping. Um, but until Florida goes out and shows that they have a guy um, that can really handle 
you know, covering some of these better tight ends. I think that remains a little bit of a question mark. That's that's been a big that's been a big question for Florida, uh, not just last year, but really for years. I mean, I remember Steve Spurrier really going at Antonio Morrison one year. Um, so we'll see. I think Amari Bernie certainly is physically equipped to do that. But first game, you never quite know exactly what you're going to get. I'm glad you brought up Tom, uh, Todd Grantham, Florida's defense coordinator, and his exotic blitz packages, packages that he brings. He's going to be facing a f- redshirt freshman quarterback, uh, Jaron Williams, who was named Miami starter uh, recently in the past week or so. He has very limited experience on the college level. Mm-hmm. One of three passing versus Savannah State. That is his. That's the extent of his experience. Um, I, I guess. You know how that's got to be an issue for Miami, right? Facing Todd Grantham and just kind of all that he does, and this is going to be your quarterback's first foray into the fire. I think so. I mean, it, it's one thing if you're going against, you know, a Randy Shannon Florida defense, where you're basically, you know, you can expect Florida more or less just line up and try to out out athlete you, um, and then you know maybe you have a chance. But when you're talking about what Todd Grantham does defensively and in, in terms of shifting guys around, moving. Uh, dropping into different zone coverages. I mean, we saw even Felipe Franks this spring uh, when he was, you know, playing much better football, struggle sometimes to identify some of these zone drops from guys like Grinnard and, uh, you know, Zuniga dropping into coverage and picking off passes underneath, um, you know, identifying guys like Trey Dean that are coming on the blitz or when Trey Dean slides outside a little bit and CJ Henderson crashes down. Um, I think it's just a lot to handle for a, a, a freshman quarterback. Um I think the comparison's probably been made a few times that, um, you know, I, I draw back to Flor- Florida's 2017 opener against Michigan. Felipe Franks faced a, a fairly similar aggressive defense in Michigan where they were sending a lot of guys and had that propensity to blitz a lot. And he just he looked completely overwhelmed. And he'd even tell you after the fact that uh, he just didn't have any idea how quickly everything was going to move around him, how you know, how much different it is than when you're in a practice. Um, and you kind of know the defense you're looking at. So I know Miami's going to get into their scout team stuff this week and, and try to prepare for some of that, but Florida's got n- enough new pieces defensively that I'm not sure that Miami will have a full handle on how Florida wants to attack defensively. And to me, that's that's one of the biggest differences in this game is Florida has a more veteran quarterback at this point in Felipe Franks, and Miami's trotting out a guy that really has basically not ever played at the college level. Correct. And the reports coming out of Miami spring ball and in fall camp, it just seemed like none of those quarterbacks ran away and absolutely took the job. It was just they're kind of all, you know, middling together. And, and, you know, they all had some some ups and a lot of downs. And, uh, you know, Jaron's the one that came out with the job. And, you know, there's just not great reviews, I guess, coming out of, the uh, you know, the Miami beat reporters down there. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, like, I don't think that Florida has necessarily a real weakness defensively. I think, you know, I think the Gators are pretty balanced across the board in terms of having veteran players at each position. And so it'd be one thing if like, you know, Florida was starting a freshman cornerback or something where you say, okay, Florida's pretty good in the front seven, but if we get the ball out quickly and attack this guy, uh, maybe we have, you know, a chance and, or, you know, and that forces Florida to adjust the defense that way. I think even if Miami's O-line does manage to hold up okay, I mean, you've still got a redshirt freshman quarterback throwing against some of the elite cornerbacks in the country that we talked about. So, again, I go back to kind of how we opened the show. It goes back to, you know, Jeff Thomas and, and K.J. Osborne. Some of those types being able to, when they do catch the ball, 
make things happen, you know, that that's not necessarily on the play design on the quarterback, um, but they've got to make guys miss and really make some elite plays, I think. Otherwise, you just it's a tough hill to climb, I think, for a redshirt freshman quarterback to try to pick apart this Florida defense. First game of the season, two in-state rivals, um, not a cupcake, I guess. Um, do you feel like it's going to be a little bit slow going, I guess, to start in the first quarter? Um, I think, yeah, I think so. Because I think both teams will have some wrinkles that they draw up um, to kind of attack what they think are the other team's weaknesses. And then you're always kind of feeling that out based on the first couple series. Um, I, I think Florida staff is actually really good at doing just that. Um, you look at some of the games, even late last year when Florida was quote-unquote clicking and Felipe Franks, the, the light had, so to speak, gone on for him. Um, it still was pretty tepid in the first half. Like the, the Florida State and the Michigan games, uh, people tend to forget because they ended up as blowouts, but those games were pretty close going into halftime. Um, so I, I don't think from Florida's standpoint that they're going to do anything too crazy early on. I think that Florida is probably going to come in feeling like it's the better team and I think the coaches will be very patient on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, if Miami's defense has some success slowing down Florida's offense early, I don't think you're going to see Florida panic or try to throw out, you know, too many trick plays, that kind of thing. I think you're going to see Florida really just kind of rely on um, its experience winning out in the long run. It's, it's edge in, you know, the strength and conditioning program that they feel that they have kind of wearing down Miami in the long run. And really, when you have a, a less experienced Miami team in terms of quarterback and offensive line, I think you kind of just wait for them to make mistakes if you're Florida. So, I, yeah, I, it wouldn't shock me at all if we come out of the first quarter and it's not really clear, um, you know, which teams kind of got command of the game or, you know, there's not a big difference on the scoreboard. But I just think overall, I think Florida's depth is going to kind of end up wearing Miami down. And I think Florida, you know, has so many advantages um, in terms of its coaches knowing what its personnel can do and knowing what to expect that I think you'll see Florida eventually start to kind of wear down Miami. So field position potentially could be a, a big deal early on in the game. Uh, Miami is one of, was one of the worst punting teams a year ago, mm -hmm. and, and they brought in a junior college punter, 26 years old, originally from Australia, Lewis Headley. Guy looks like he should be an extra on uh, Sons of Anarchy with uh, the tats and jacked arms and everything. Does not look like your prototypical punter. Um, no idea how good he actually is. I don't go around searching uh, Juco punter stats. But for Florida, Tommy Townsend, you know, good punter, 45 yards per uh, punt a year ago. A guy that if it comes down early to kind of flip the field, he's he's one that could do that for Florida. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I mean, he was really good a year ago, probably should have been a Ray guy finalist. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think has even probably improved a little bit based on at least what we're being told uh, from players in the offseason. Uh, he's really focused on hang time a lot. And I know that's something that Florida's coaches are, are really confident in this year. Um, and that's, that's another area. I just think Florida has an overall edge. I think when you're Dan Mullen and you're pretty good at being able to handle how the offense, defense and special teams parts all mesh, and you've got your entire special teams unit back, at least in terms of the specialists. Um, I think you basically go into the game knowing that you can rely on Townsend to flip the field or, you know, McPherson to hit from certain ranges um, so I think that keeps Florida from necessarily trying to press in a certain area like you might have to if you had an unreliable punter, an unreliable kicker. Um, and so I think you'll you'll that's part of what plays into that patience factor that I think you'll see Florida be able to lean on. You mentioned on a little bit with uh, Dan Mullen and, and how he's such a good game manager for Miami. 
with Manny Diaz. It's his first job, uh, you know, first game as a head coach. I, I you know, there's some questions there. There's going to be a learning curve there, I would assume. Just your thoughts on on Florida getting, you know, Manny Diaz in his first game. Well, I think that, you know, the familiarity can definitely go both ways. You know, uh, Diaz will obviously have some comfort level knowing how Dan Mullen's offense is operated as well. Um, but I think the big difference for me, at least, is that while Manny Diaz may know kind of what Mullen wants to do, um, Manny Diaz in some ways – more so on the offensive side of the ball than, than with Miami's defense, but they're still learning their players and their personnel and how they're going to adapt to, um, you know, that offensive scheme. Whereas I don't think Florida's staff on either side of the ball has that challenge nearly as much. You know, Dan Mullen talked about it quite a bit in fall camp that this year just feels different because they're not trying to learn the players. You know, they went through the first six or seven games last year where it was as much about them learning which players could do what, um, before they were able to really craft the offense and the defense around the way those players could produce best. Um, so I think the fact that Miami's going to have some of that, I tend to lean towards Dan Mullen having the advantage when it comes to familiarity. Um, I think that, you know, he'll be able to probably pick on Diaz's tendencies a little bit more um, because he knows that he knows how to attack those areas with his guys on the Florida offense, if that makes sense. This week, uh, it was announced that Florida and Miami are going to schedule a home and home in 2024 and 2025. You know, this this game doesn't get played often, uh, even though it is two in-state rivals. I guess, you know, are, are you excited to see more of this and see Miami on Florida's schedule more uh, moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, you tell me, it's, has this uh, offseason been pretty fun in terms of just being able to sit here and cover it? Yeah, if it's going to be a, a week one game, like this is what you want. You want those marquee matchups in the, the season opener. It makes the summer significantly better um, and the anticipation leading into week one uh, even higher than if you're playing some directional school without a doubt. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, when it comes down to scheduling, I do think that Florida is starting to shift. Um, and I'm not sure it's just a Florida specific thing. Um, but I think the attendance issues in college football have really kind of outlined um, that the days of scheduling, you know, two FCS level teams or ultra, you know, not competitive bottom of the barrel FBS teams in there. I think those days are mostly gone. You know, Florida obviously has two this year in uh, UT Martin and Towson. But I think I think you're going to see teams start to, you know, kind of move towards scheduling maybe the lower end of the power five type teams. Um, getting, you know, say a matchup with an Iowa State or somebody like that in the future. Um, but I think from Florida's standpoint, with the way the Georgia game sets up every year in Jacksonville for now, and, you know, having Florida State on the schedule, you do have to be a little bit selective when you're talking about scheduling some of these home and homes. And I think Miami's a little bit more um, easy to swallow if you're, you're the AD. You know that's going to draw interest on both sides, you know, both, both sets of games, home and away. Um, it's a very traditional rivalry that everybody loves to see. I, I just think there's so many positives involved in that that I think Scott Strickland, you know, Florida's athletics director, has really kind of tuned in on and and basically said, look, if we're going to schedule these, Miami should be, you know, our first call above some of these other, you know, programs that we could schedule. And I think I think that's great for both both fan bases. I, I really think it's great for the state. You know, I was at school in UF in 2008 when, uh, you know, Randy Shannon's Hurricanes came to town. And I can tell you the, the vibe on campus was just entirely different. You know, the entire week leading up to that game, you had 
you know, Miami fans and students coming up during the week. Um, you know, so it was, it was just a whole week long, you know, festival kind of event. Um, and you don't get that with these, these games against, you know, Colorado's and schools like that. So I think it's a very necessary thing. I'm glad that they're starting to do it. Um, you know, if that leads to playoff expansion on the road, because schedules start getting tougher. Great, man. We get more games, but, um, I'm for one, really glad to see these two schools, uh, you know, dialing in, in the future and, and putting some more games on the schedule. That'll be all for us. Make sure you subscribe to the swamp 24 seven podcast. Give us five stars and we'll be back later this week for maybe some predictions. <laughs>